This is Olympian Kevin Barnett, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the ProSource Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nee Wallace-Bruce, a.k.a. NWB, and I am joined by Mr. Corby Durant. Chloe, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. Looking forward to this one. How you doing? I'm solid. And actually, I'm happy that we're all here today because we have the talented Mr. Justin Williams joining us from Ontario today. Yes. Justin, we're in Canada. I'm still in Ontario. <laughs> I'm Ontario today. I'll be in Saskatchewan tomorrow. Yeah. And he'll probably be in Newfoundland next week. Uh, Alberta. Alberta. Well, speaking of Alberta, we have a very special guest who hails from Alberta. She actually is playing in Germany right now, but... She grew up in Alberta, and that's where she started her volleyball career, represents Team Canada. It is the one and only Jessie Niles. Jessie, how are you doing? I'm doing well, really well. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. In fact, we should be saying guten Tag. How are things in Germany? Things are good. It's a, a rainy day here in Germany, but uh, I've got into a bit of a routine. I've been here for a couple of weeks, so shaking off the jet lag and enjoying a the Euro lifestyle. All right, we're going to get into that for sure. Now, how did you get into volleyball just to start off with? Yeah, it, uh, volleyball started for me when I was 13 years old and showed up at school tryouts because all of my friends were and uh, found that it was not only fun, but I was decent at it and, and really just stuck with it from there because, uh, yeah, it was really enjoyable to me. Nice. And did you have any other sports that you're into or was it always volleyball for you? You know, I grew up uh, doing a lot of outdoor sports, so a lot of hiking and canoeing and biking. Uh, my dad is actually used to be a, a wilderness guide, so our family vacations always centered around some sort of outdoor sport. But I spent a lot of time doing that. I also did track and field and cross-country running. Uh, but from about age 13 onwards, it, everything really centered uh, around volleyball. Nice. We love to see that. Yeah, so Jesse, as a fellow Canadian, I mean, everyone grows up playing volleyball in school. It's one of the standard sports that you you learn as a Canadian youth growing up. But when it comes to the professional side of things, there's very little attention paid to volleyball in Canada. What do you have to do to transition from someone who plays it recreationally to someone who plays it professionally as a Canadian? Yeah, yeah, you're you're right on the mark is in that there's not that many opportunities post-university volleyball to continue to play in Canada as a volleyball athlete and so uh, a lot of a lot of players who continue tend to go overseas uh, quite commonly to Europe but there's other opportunities in Asia and Latin America as well uh, but for me I was playing on Team Canada and wanted to continue my 
my uh, national team career. So I lined up an agent and worked with an agent based actually in the Netherlands who helped me get my foot in the door uh, originally and then helped uh, to line up a pro contract for, for each season that I was playing pro. And uh, yeah, started my career off in the second league in France, uh, playing for um, uh, Villejuif, which is just in a suburb of Paris. Okay, okay. Now, it made sense that you hooked up with a, a Dutch agent. They generally know what's going on, so I, I fully understand that. Now, <laughs> what's that, Justin? Oh, no, just uh, just your bias towards the Dutch, with you being Dutch. <laughs> oh, here, here we go. Blatantly <laughs> <laughs> obvious. <laughs> now, one second. Jessica, you went to university in Canada, correct? Yeah, I was up at uh, the University of Alberta in Edmonton, and uh, played for the Pandas there for five years. Now, did you have offers from the States or no? You know, I briefly considered going down to the States, but to be honest, I wanted to get an education from a Canadian school and wanted to stay uh, relatively close to home, not too close. But uh, when when an offer came through with the Pandas, which is one of the, the top programs for volleyball, for university uh, volleyball in Canada, okay. I really jumped on on that and was excited to uh, to go to U of A. Do the pandas have a major rival? Yeah, I would say uh, naturally University of Calgary would be a big rival just because of the proximity. But when I was playing, our big rival, I would say, would be UBC. We were always neck and neck in the in the, the conference finals and at nationals. So, I, yeah, that was our big rival when I played. All right, cool. Actually, that'd be a pretty cool rival to have when it comes right down to it because of the connection between the two provinces. Totally. Yeah. So when you started your career, I guess as a youth, was there anybody you looked up to? I imagine there would be, whether it be a coach or any former player. Yeah. You know, that's a good, a good question. I, I was playing when I first started, I played for a local volleyball club and, and didn't have too much exposure to higher levels. But when I really started to, uh, to get going in my, my later club club years. Uh, I did look up to a lot of the national team players and, and coaches. Um, I think at that time, uh, Naoki Miyashida was the national team head coach. So he's originally from Japan, uh, but was coaching the national team at that time and really impressed with his coaching style and and the team. And I actually had the, the pleasure of working with him when uh, I was at U of A. He ended up uh, working with, with the Pandas program uh, when he finished off with the national team. So it was a kind of a cool full circle moment. Uh, that's uh, it's almost a Hallmark movie, or I guess Disney movie <laughs> in this case. Uh, do you still keep in contact with any of your older coaches when you were from youth, whether for, that's from your university or from your uh, rec league? Yeah, I have been so lucky to have worked with a variety of really incredible coaches who are so knowledgeable about the game, but really great people as well. And uh, I I can confidently say that I keep in touch with every every single one of them from U14 all the way up to, to national teams. So to name a few, Ernie Sue, uh, Reed Brody and Chad Lear, uh, Carson Standek, Lori Eisler. I mean, there's... Uh, a long list, but love to to keep in contact with all of them. Obviously, because of the volleyball connection, but because they're just incredible people as well. 
Perfect. We love that. Have you ever received any weird advice from a coach before uh, like a big game? And, and let me kind of preference this. So I did martial arts for a while. And before we went into one of our like final sparring tournaments, our coach kind of sat us down and was just like, listen, a wet moose walks backwards when an old crow cries. And that was his speech. And that was it. And I, I was left like bewildered. We won. But I was like, is that is that because of the stupid quote? Or just, I don't even know. But have you ever gotten any weird advice? Yeah, that's too funny. Oh, I'm trying to trying to rack my brain because it's been been a couple years, but uh, you know, nothing that I can think of off the top of my head, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. No worries. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the moose walking backwards. I might need you guys to help me out with that because I haven't <laughs> seen a moose yet. <laughs> I didn't grow up with moose in my part of the world. Out back. <laughs> yeah, they don't have moose in the outback. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, crikey. Oh, look at the horns on that one. <laughs> I want to pet it. Oh, no, I don't think you want to pet it, do you? I don't know. Steve Irwin pet everything. Well, that's true. Rest in peace, Steve Irwin. Now, Jesse, you have a very cool role. You are one of the IOC young leaders for this current Olympic cycle between Tokyo and Paris. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was uh, really excited to be, become part of the IOC Young Leaders Program. Uh, I wound down my professional and national team career uh, in 2020 at the end of uh, that summer and was really looking for a way to stay connected to the sport community and to uh, give back in, I guess, my post, post-volleyball world. So I applied to become part of the IOC Young Leaders Program, which is a, a four-year program that supports you to build a sports-oriented social business. And I'm part of a group of 25 young leaders from around the world. And so we come together on a monthly basis to uh, work on our projects and hear from uh, experts in sport and social business. And so this has been a, a really fun and, and interesting program to uh, to be a part of and keep me connected to uh, to the sporting world. Nice. And the business, are you able to tell us a little bit about that or is it uh, confidential? No, certainly not confidential and, and happy to share. So the project that I'm working on uh, is called Ready in 5. And what it is, is uh, a platform that brings high-performance athletes into online meetings and online classes to lead five-minute movements or active breaks uh, to either kick off the meeting or, or halfway through. And really what it's designed to do is to uh, keep everyone sharp and alert and really prepare them using movement to, uh, to be at their best for, for whatever they're in that meeting for. Hey. We've all got five minutes. We, we can all get in on that. I like the sound of that. That's a cool idea, man. Exactly. Yeah, I'm still. Yeah. That's that's a pretty awesome idea. It's a, it's kind of simple, but at the same time, it's genius. I really like that idea. So, Jessica, you've you've played in a number of different countries. Where would you say you've experienced the most passionate fans? Yeah, that's a great uh, a great question. I, so I've played in in the both the second and first French leagues, as well as in the Austrian league. Uh, during my time professionally and then with the national team played all over the map from Japan to Russia to uh, Cuba and Dominican Republic. I would say the most passionate fans that I can think of would be uh, in Japan. I just remember 
the stands being completely filled with tons of fans who had posters who were all cheering and and really uh really passionate so uh, that was at the the world championships and that sticks out as uh, some of the the world's best fans that I've played in front of okay and the the toughest game that you've personally played in for you oh toughest game i think he, the the toughest game for me would be uh, the emotionally toughest, and that yes. would be the last game I actually ever played, uh, which was down in Dominican Republic in uh, January 2020. And it was really tough because it was our last chance Olympic qualifier, so it was our final kick at the can to, uh, to make it to the Olympics and was really the culmination of four years of hard work for the squad. It was a, a pretty tough tournament for me. I had herniated a disc in my back, and so I was not uh, feeling feeling my best and actually spent the two weeks before the tournament rehabbing and not playing much volleyball at all. So um, for me, it, it was just tough, and unfortunately, we didn't end up qualifying. So uh, that was a, a tough, tough final match, just knowing it was the, uh, the end of my career. Yeah, no, I can imagine that, and thanks, thanks for sharing it. That's uh, that's never something we always want to hear. We always kind of want to go out on a bit of a, a bit of a high note, unless you're Stone Cold Steve Austin, who said it's always best to go out on a loss. I never understood that quote, but I was like, you know what? You make more money than I do, and you're more famous than I am. So go good on you, Stone Cold. Is there a moment in your career that was a defining moment for you that you look back and you go, this, this moment I will always remember. Yeah. So I touched on a low, and now I'll touch touch on a high. Uh, that would be. When our national team squad, we qualified for the Volley Nations League for the first time. For those who don't aren't familiar with the Volley Nations League, it is a worldwide tournament of the the top, I believe, sixteen teams, and it's a pretty cool format. You're playing three games a week around the world for six weeks. It was a, a really big deal for us to qualify, and uh, for me, it just reignited the belief that Canada can be uh, a top and is becoming a top volleyball nation. And so it was certainly exciting for for me and for the squad after four years of hard work. But it was really, I think, the result of squads before that and just uh, a lot of blood, sweat and tears being poured into the program for uh, for a while. That was, that was brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Are you ready to stay fit this winter? Get off the couch with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Sign up now to their mobility and movement program. Use the code PSP15 to get 15% off the one-time purchase of the program. Then it's yours forever. No additional subscriptions or fees. The program is available worldwide. Now, back to the show. Um, Kind of another thing. Is there... um, So... The reason why Neat asked where I was going to be is because I'm a comedian. So I was I was doing a show last night in Richmond Hill, Ontario. I'm going to be doing a couple of shows over in Saskatchewan. I'll be hitting up Alberta later on. So I always kind of like like to stick to the funny moments in life and kind of just to resonate off that. When I was on the basketball team, we had one guy. It was in the middle of our playoffs, and I passed him the ball. He was our point guard, and he's a right-handed shooter. But for some reason, he took a shot with his left, and it just went completely like just off the not a good shot at all. And I was like, what are you doing? And he looked me dead in the face. He's like, I don't know. I panicked. Have you ever had one of those kind of like funny moments, whether it's you or a teammate has done something that's a little, uh, a little kind of off the wall? Oh, totally. I definitely have many times myself. Uh, one example 
would be when we were playing in the Dominican Republic. And a lot of times, uh, some of the gyms, you never really know what you're going to get. And, and so this gym had a big window right above the court uh, in, in the roof. And the sun was shining straight down in the window above the court. And the other team had realized that this could be an advantage to them. So they send over this really, really high free ball or a ball that goes super high over the net and should, in theory, be super easy to control and to handle. And uh, as a libero, it's my job to to take those free balls. And of course, the ball gets lined perfectly up with the sun in that window. And I have no idea where the ball is. And of course, the ball shanks off the side of my arms into the crowd. And for anyone watching, it looked ridiculous. For me, <laughs> it was super embarrassing because that should be something I can do in my sleep. But uh, it was just one of those perfect timing, perfect sun in the window. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that one. That's for sure. Oh, we love that. But was there anything done about that? Could you not turn to the refs and be like, yo, can we get some sunglasses? Like, what's happening here? You know, unfortunately, you got to roll with the punches on these ones. We've in in those gyms down there, there's been rain leaking through the roof and birds flying over. So sometimes it's uh, <laughs> there's some pretty funny things that are going on around you that you got to try and just uh, block out. Jesus, volleyball waits for nobody, apparently. <laughs> sitting there it's like kind of flooded everyone's like all right you got your rain boots on we're still going out pandas let's do this home field home field <laughs> i don't think it's a field at that point <laughs> swimming pool the polo kids are very upset jesse you said as a low something it was your responsibility a what libero as a libero um so the if you've watched uh, watched some volleyball, if you notice that there's a player wearing a different colored jersey, that's your libero, and they are a backcourt specialist, so they take care of passing and um, digs, yeah, defense and stuff of the likes, but don't play anything at the net or don't do any serving. Okay, cool. I just wanted to get that verified for the for the listeners. So, is the li- libero something like the playmaker for the for the team? I guess that they direct things in a way is that right sort of so uh the setter is the playmaker offensively so that would be the player that sets the ball to the hitters who can you know attack and and make plays that way uh but the libero definitely has a a big impact in uh directing kind of the backcourt serve receive and defense so helping to to set the plays up by making a, a good pass if that makes sense. So I would be in charge of helping to tell the, the passers where to stand or setting up the, the block and defense to keep the ball off the ground. <laughs> That's the key to the game. Keep the ball off the ground. There we go. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> Indeed. So tell us, have you ever considered going into broadcasting? You know, I have not. I uh, just actually finished my master's degree in management analytics, so I'm a big numbers gal and like to, to dive into the details, but haven't uh, ever thought about going into media broadcasting. <laughs> what about coaching? Coaching? You know, I've done it here and there, and I think I will potentially get into it at some point uh, in my life again. But I needed a little bit of separation from the game and from the gym just to kind of transition from being a full-time athlete into uh, 
into the next phases of my career. Fair enough. I guess one of the reasons we'll ask about that is we're seeing analytics, at least it's big in baseball nowadays. It's starting to become a big thing in football, American football especially. Is it something that's infiltrating volleyball? Are we seeing coaching staffs using analytics in terms of trying to optimize play positions and whatnot in volleyball? Absolutely. Yeah. Data and analytics is becoming a, a big, really big part of the game with the national team, with the pandas, with my pro teams, we would be uh, constantly reviewing game video and taking a look at, at uh, stats from the other team to really optimize our strategies and our, our game plans. And there's a lot of really cool research and, and things being done uh, with data and analytics in volleyball. Uh, so yeah, it's big, it was a big part of my career and I think it's, it's just getting bigger, uh, year over year. Fair enough. Yeah. I've noticed that when watching volleyball, they're constantly referencing kill percentages, block percentages, dig percentages. I mean, depending which network you're watching, but that always seems to be something coming up. So I would imagine maybe when teams strategize, they may pick on specific players because let's say their dig percentage is low. Is that something you've heard in preparation for a game? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're taking a look at the strengths and the weaknesses of the other team. So whether it's uh, picking on a weak passer or maybe, you know, the setter doesn't like to make a, a certain set. They're not as strong as at that. Uh, you would try to, to force some of those weaker plays from them. Serving wise, you're yeah, like I said, you're serving it at the weaker passers or our attackers would be going after weaker spots in the other team's defense. So, yeah, I would say most parts of the game you can break down into the, the numbers and the stats and, and develop a strategy around. Okay, and to switch gears for a second, how, how do you transition from, I guess, just a, an ambitious player growing up to the Canadian national team? What, what's required there? You know, I... To be honest, never had my sights set on the national team growing up, uh, but I got really lucky having Lori Eisler as a, a head coach at the U of A in university, who was the first one to really plant the seed uh, that the national team could be in the cards for me. Mm -hmm. And so she, she encouraged me to uh, head to the open tryouts that are ho hosted every year. And heading to those is a really good way to get exposure to the program and kind of put your name out there that it's something that you're interested in doing. And so I started my national team career off on the, the junior team, worked my way up onto the B team, and then spent a couple years on the, the senior team or the, the top team. So you really start to work your way up the ladder, but I would definitely recommend uh, getting involved and getting exposure as early on in, in your career as you can. Okay. So in Canada, it's a completely open tryout. Anybody can basically show up and try and make the team. Yeah, I would say it's a, a combination. So there are some players, I think, that are invited or yeah, requested to come to the tryouts. Some people, but to answer your question, yes, I think mostly most years they do have open tryouts. So anyone could show up. Uh, but it does, now that I'm thinking back, it does vary year to year, depending on the competitions and the amount, the number of, of cards or amount of funding that the, the program has. Okay. And the Canadian team specifically, do you see a lot of turnover in it or no? 
I would say you see a lot of turnover uh, coinciding with the Olympic quads. So, uh, you know, every four years, of course, the Olympics happen. And so I, in the past, I would say that there's a, a decent amount of turnover after those Olympic years that happen. And so that was certainly the case with, uh, with the year that I retired. We saw, uh, I would say, six, six to eight players retire. Okay. Okay. And maybe you noticed, maybe not, but is that the same sort of situation in most nations or do some nations carry teams for a long period of time? Yeah, the, I would say there are definitely some nations that carry teams for a longer time. The Dominican Republic would definitely be a good example of that where some of the players have been involved from, you know, age 14 and, uh, and now they're 34, like an incredible amount of time that they, they spend with the program. And, um, I think that's a reflection of that nation and kind of the degree to which they, they value volleyball, I suppose. Okay. Not that Canada doesn't, but uh, as Canadians, we're so lucky to have so many different opportunities, whether it's playing sports or academics or um, other career opportunities. So mm-hmm. I find it's it, uh, a lot of players get pulled into to different directions because we are so lucky to have so many uh, options. But uh, yeah, Dominican does a great job of, of keeping that squad together for a long time. And it, it really shows in their results. They've, they're constantly a, a top volleyball nations and one of Canada's biggest, biggest rivals when it comes to those qualifying tournaments. So uh, the longer you can keep that core team together, the better, of course, because uh, yeah, you just you get, get better and better as a squad uh, over, over time. Okay, okay. Now, just to kind of switch topics real quick, what do you do in your like downtime hobby time when you were a player? Like, were you kind of like just side hustles, I guess? Yeah, you know, I <laughs> I am such a a busybody, or I love to be busy. So I actually, for uh, three out of the four years that I was playing professionally, worked. Uh, anywhere from part to three quarter time as a business analyst for a biotech company in Canada. I was really lucky to have the opportunity to be working remotely um, and playing at the same time. So unfortunately, my my volleyball contracts weren't super lucrative. So I worked remotely on the side so that I could continue to uh, to play volleyball and, and uh, pursue my athletic dream. That's uh, that's both inspiring and it's a bit of a, a bit of a tell where Canada delegates its money towards, and that's uh, that's obviously got to change for all athletes. It's you know it's hard to be a nation that wants to compete when unfortunately your athletes have to have day jobs. You know what I mean? That's uh, totally. It's kind of kind of some rough waters. But before we get you out of here, there's a few other questions that I just kind of want to ask. Um, being a Canadian person, as we all are in the situation, have you ever had a Putin before? <laughs> I have definitely had a Putin, but now I'm actually uh, I'm plant based, so I don't have your traditional Putin. But anytime I can find a a vegan vegan version, I'm all for it. <laughs> well, let me plug shamelessly New York Fries that offers a mushroom based gravy. So there you go. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, and also they also like a veggie option too, but that's nor here nor there. And where can our uh, I'm gonna say our friends? Where can our fans? And I guess our friends. Hi, friends. Reach you on social media. Yeah, I am over most of the the platforms, but on Instagram, I'm at Jesse Niles. 
I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, you can just search Jesse Niles and I should pop up. So yeah, happy to uh, connect with anyone that listening. That would be great. For sure. I'm going to give you a follow right now. Fantastic having you on. I hope the weather improves in Germany, but Germany's a blast. So you're going to have a great time there. Yeah, no, I, I love it here. And uh, well, thanks so much, guys. Have a great rest of your day. You too. You too. Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience, where no sport is left behind.